Now, I don't know how many of you uh, engaged in the Olympics. How many of you watched the Olympics over this, this summer? I got to tell you, our family, huge Olympics fans. We watched the Olympics, it felt like every single night. I'm, I kid you not. It was like, that's what we did, 7.30, 8 o'clock. We watched the Olympics. And in my household, the number one thing to watch in the Summer Olympics is the women's gymnastics. I have a daughter who competed in gymnastics very seriously for a while. And, and so it is. And um, by the way, can I just tell you one of the most inspiring things that I saw in women's gymna- gymnastics, this, this one. It wasn't with the U.S. team. They were awesome. We kicked butt and took names. That was great. Okay. But it was this one woman that gave me a little bit of hope. Her name was Oksana. I I would mess up her last name, but she was competing in her eighth Olympic Games as a woman gymnast, okay? And here's why I got excited when I found out she's older than I am. And so I thought, there is hope for me yet. So guess what? Look for me in Paris 2024. I am going to compete in the Olympics in 2020. I don't even know what it's going to be in. I'm open to suggestions. I'll figure it out. I'll get started, okay? Fencing, maybe. You all know I like fencing. If you were here, you like fencing. By the way, U.S. took golden fencing. That was pretty awesome. And uh, um, one of my favorites, I've got a few different ones that I really love. Um, I love swimming. I don't know if any of you love to watch the swimming, but swimming is just intense, and that's that's just a fun... I would never go to a swimming meet any other time in my life. But if it's on the Olympics, I'm going to watch it. Uh, The basketball. But can I tell you one that is kind of like secretly one of my favorites? And really I'm connected to it in kind of a personal way. And that is the track and field. I don't know if you love the track and field, but there's just something incredible about watching people. There's just, there's no gimmicks. There's just how fast can you run? And just love to see nation against nation and love to see track and field. Maybe I like it so much because maybe you don't know this about me, but I was a bit of a track and field star myself. I don't know if you know that. But when I was in high school, my senior year, my best friend at the time, Michael, he came to me and he said, hey, listen, you ought to run track with me. And I'm like, I don't run track. And he was like, no, it's great. You just do a short race. It takes like a minute and then you get to go and meet all the girls from the other teams. I said, sign me up. So I ran track my senior year. And um, one of the, the um, kind of interesting things that I found out about track is I was kind of fast, but not fast enough. Okay, that's what I really found out. So they were like, we're not going to put you in the sprints, okay, the real short races, because I wasn't fast enough. And I was like, okay, does that mean you're going to put me in distance? They're like, no, you can't really do distance either. So we're going to try to just find a race that you could do. So they started me out in the 400. Um, that was not good. And they, they had me doing the 400. They had me doing high jump. I could jump and some other things. And I remember the very first track meet. The very first. I'm there, and I'm going to do my race, the 400. I think I was doing the high jump. They made you do a couple events. So I'm like, okay, I'll do those. And I remember they came up to me and they said, hey, listen, we need somebody to participate in a relay race. Now, I I had never practiced for this relay race, but they were like, this particular meet has a unique relay race that most of them didn't have. And it was a actual relay race for people on the team for the 110 meter high hurdles. Now, if you've ever get a chance to go on a track or you ever go see the 110 meter high hurdles come up to about here. I'm not lying. They're that high. And they were like, we, we want you to run in them. And I'm like, uh, I have not jumped over a hurdle. And they're like, it's okay. It's easy. Here's all you do. Okay. And so I, I brought a little prop. Okay. They said, here's what you do. Somebody else is going to run and jump over the hurdles. And when they get to you, they're going to hand you this in the other lane. And you're going to run and jump over all of the hurdles to the other side. And then you're going to hand it to somebody else. You all know what this is, by the way. What is it? It's called a, a baton. Right. Okay. So I'm like, oh, all right. I could do this, I guess. And so I took off. I was like on the second leg. And I, got, I get handed a baton. And I'm running. Again, they don't even normally do the 110 in a, in a relay. But this one did. And I'm running. And so here's what I did. Run, run, run. Stop. Jump, run, 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 stop, jump. I mean, it was not pretty. I'm just going to be honest with you. It, it was not pretty, but I made it over all of the hurdles, handed the baton off. The next guy went, I think it was my best friend. He was also in the relay. I think that's how he talked me into it. And here's the good news. 
we won first place in the 110 meter high hurdles. I just wanna, I'm just proud of that. I don't think it was because of me, but we didn't lose in spite, you know, I mean, so it was really cool. Um, I never had to do it again, the 110 high hurdles. Now here's the odd thing. I didn't love this. The end of the year, senior year, and um, you know how they put together like a senior video, right? Where they, it's like the whole year and just you watch this video that's like five, 10 minutes long or whatever. They only took one little clip from track and field. <laughs> the only place I showed up in the entire senior video was me going, run, 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 no, ah, run, run, run. I mean, looking ridiculous. Now, I, I thought to myself, I wonder if you guys would like to see it. Yeah. Yeah, too bad. It was on VHS, and I have no idea where it is. Thank God. And I didn't go look for it. You know, the, the interesting thing is about running track and field, and I just love watching the relay races. Is Here's what's cool is that what started with me has been general. I've passed the baton now to my daughter, Audrey, by the way. By the way, Audrey, I just want to, you ought to stand up. She just turned 16 this week. Got her driver's license this week. Be careful. I'm just telling you all, be careful. And, um, but I passed it on to her, and her team actually made the state regional qualifiers, I don't know, district, regional, whatever, for uh, her school in the 4 by 100 So she is actually fast, okay? So I just give it up for... Just we pass it generationally, it just gets passed. Why are we talking about Olympics, Pastor? It's because my hope and my prayer is that maybe today that you and I, that we could see the church like a relay race. Throughout this entire summer, we've been talking about how Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And he said, the gates of Hades will not be able to stop it. I'm going to start a movement that will be unstoppable. That's what Jesus said. And when Jesus started off, he handed the baton to the first church. What I'm trying to get you and me to all kind of like understand is that generation after generation just passing the baton all the way to Canal Winchester in 2021. We are the same church. What if we could see the church like a relay race? Now, where am I getting from that? I didn't just make that up, but actually the writer of Hebrews says it. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Let me just read these verses to you. And I love this. It's kind of a fun paraphrased version, the message. that says this. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way. All the people who took off first. They, they ran the first leg, okay? These are all veterans that are cheering us on. Do you realize that? Here's what he said. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running. That does not mean what you think it means, okay? A runner, they got, okay. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Notice what it says. Who both began and finished the race we're in. What was he saying? We're in a race. Jesus started this race. And they're, they're pioneers that went before us. That's the first church that we've been learning about all summer long in the book of Acts. That's the first church that when Jesus said, I'm going to start a movement, guess what he did? Peter. And he put the baton in Peter's hands. And Peter on the day of Pentecost got out of the blocks like you wouldn't imagine. And he's running super hard. And one of the things that we saw in the book of Acts, that Peter kind of hands the baton to Paul. And then Paul begins to run. And churches begin to spread. And guess what? It just goes on from generation to generation, church to church, through time, through history and space, all the way to 2021. And what I'm trying to say for all of us is that today Jesus is putting the baton in our hands, and he's saying, you are now the church that is unstoppable, and it's time to run the race. It's time to run the race. Today, I, I would love to make this as personal as I can for all of us, because when we hear about the church, let's be honest, a lot of times we think about the big church. We think about the church around the globe, we think about the 
the organizational church. We think about the pastor and the staff and the structure and the system. We think about the buildings. We think about all these different things. But one of the things I hope you have picked up, not only here in our church, but also through the Unstoppable series, is that the church is not a building. The church is not an entity. The church is not an organization. You and me, what have we learned? We are the church. If I could stick a mirror in front of every single one of us, I would say that the the church is what you see staring back at you. When I see staring back at me, that is the church. And what I'm trying to say today is if Jesus were here, I think he would come up to you and he would go, I'm putting the baton in your hands. I'm calling you to be the unstoppable movement. Today I want to talk about what it looks like for us to take the baton. What does it look like for us in 2021 for the baton to be handed to us? And not just us as a corporate, but I'm saying us personally. Now, if you've got your Bible with you, I, I encourage you. This is one of those messages. Not only get your Bible out, your electronic device, take some notes. I want you to go, you, I know, you're going to Acts? What? No, we're not going to Acts, okay? Remember, we started this series off in Matthew 16. Jesus said, I'll build my church. Today, I thought it'd be fitting to end in a gospel account. We're going to close out this series in John chapter 1, okay? The gospel of John chapter 1. And so if you've got a, a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we always say it. Man, we'd love to give you one. You can stop at our next steps. We'd love to just put one in your hands for free. John chapter 1. Now, let me tell you what is happening is we're going to pick up the story in verse 43. John chapter 1, Jesus shows up on the scene. Jesus gets baptized, just like we got to witness people getting baptized. Jesus gets baptized He's about to start his ministry. This is the moment where it's like, okay, out of the blocks. Remember what the writer of Hebrews said, Jesus began the race. We're gonna look, this is, this is Jesus beginning the race. And in John chapter one, what you find is that Jesus begins the race by assembling his relay team. I gotta get some runners. I gotta get some people on my team. John chapter one, verse 43 says this, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee Finding Philip, he said to him, what? Everybody say it out loud. He said, follow me. I want to pause for just a moment there. I want to camp here for a second. Because I think this is actually kind of easy to overlook something really significant. Jesus kind of at this moment has decided it's time to start the ministry. Now, Jesus was in the Jordan River when he gets baptized. But then Jesus says, I'm going to go to Galilee. Why? That's where he did most of his ministry, the Sea of Galilee in that area. And so Jesus is about to begin his ministry. Before he begins his ministry, before he leaves the area, I want you to note there's something that's so important. It says in there that Jesus, as he's about to go, it said, finding Philip. I would love for you, if you've got a Bible, you take notes, write those two words down, finding Philip, underline it, because I think it's actually really important. He's about to start his ministry. Wait a minute. Before I start my ministry, I've got to find Philip. You know what's interesting is if you follow kind of the gospel accounts and how Jesus assembles his relay team. You know, how does he pick the really fast runners? How does he pick the people to run? There's so many unique ways in which Jesus actually builds his team. I mean, you see in one account where Jesus borrows someone's boat to preach, and then in that moment does a miracle and then invites him and his brother and his business partners to come and follow him. There's another time when Jesus is walking down a a road, a popular road, and he sees a tax collector sitting in his booth, and they would put these booths on very popular roads because that's, you want to make sure you get everybody's taxes for Rome. And his name was Levi, and when he showed up at the the booth, he said, Levi, come on, leave all that behind and follow me. Same thing. And so Levi left it, and he followed Jesus. And by the way, he's the one whose name was changed, and he's called Matthew. There's so many unique ways, but I was very intrigued by Philip's. You know, there's not a lot that's said about Philip in the gospel accounts. His, his story is kind of quiet. There's a few places where he pops up and he says things, but kind of quiet. But I found something so significant that before Jesus could go start his ministry, it said, finding Philip. The intentionality, the, the focus is Jesus was like, I can't start until I get Philip. I want Philip. I need Philip on my team. Philip is fast. He's one of those fast. I might put him in the second leg. Philip has got some strong spiritual legs. I need Philip on my team. And it's almost as if Jesus was like, I can't even start. I've got to find Philip. 
I got to get Philip. You know what's so amazing about that is because I think in the same way that Jesus pursued Philip, can I, can I just get you to understand this? I believe Jesus doesn't just pursue Philip, but Jesus is also pursuing you. Then the same way that Jesus was saying, I've got to find Philip, you could take Philip's name out and put your name in there. And I want you to know this, Jesus feels the same way about you. I want to find you. You know, what's interesting to me is sometimes when you hear people's story, their testimony, people will say things like this, I found God. Maybe some of you have said that. I get the sentiment. It means I finally got to a point where I realized that I'm reaching out for God. I'm going to respond. I found God. But sometimes you step back and you go, wait a minute, you found God? Where was he hiding? Not I found God. And I understand the sentiment. I'm not trying to make fun of it. I understand. But I, I, I would love for you to understand that even when you think you found God, what you didn't realize is that before that, Jesus had been pursuing you, that Jesus had been actively coming after you, saying, I want to find you, even when we think we find God. The truth is, God's actually been finding you. God's been pursuing you. God's been running after you. I found God. You know what's funny? Because we get into the church, you know, theological circles like to debate. Do we find God? Does God find us? I think it's kind of a pointless debate, but that's just what theologians and, you know, really deep Bible people like to do. Do we find God? Do God find You know what I love? Here's what I love. This is, you know, what we do in our church. Um, um, you know the ex-church worship song, Found? Great song, by the way, ex-church word. I just, one of my favorites, right, found. I love it because the lyrics in part of the song that we wrote, it says, I found you, I found you, I found you, I found you. Does anybody know how it goes after that? You found me, you found me, you found me. Oh, you found me. I think it's something like that. You know what I mean? We're stuck when I need them. Okay, I, I found you, I found you. I found you, I fa- no, you found me, you found me, you found me. Maybe it's a combination of the both. Maybe what it is, and Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. What I'm saying is that God has been actively pursuing after you. I want to look in the camera and say to someone watching this, maybe you think, no, not me. Yes, God is actively pursuing you. But what he does is he gives you an invitation. The real truth, when people say, I found God, what they're saying is, I responded to his grace and I've reached up and I responded to the invitation to follow him. He's found me. I, I found him. He found me. I found him. I'm responding to the invitation. And I would love for some of you that maybe don't know Jesus and you're here to hear this today. Jesus is pursuing you. What do you mean he's pursuing me? He loves you so much. I know he's got a lot to do. I got to get to Galilee. I got to, well, hold on. I'm finding Philip. Hold on. He cares enough about you that he says, I gotta find you. And there are things that sometimes happen in our lives and we just don't, we coincidence. Might be the reason why you're here today. Maybe the reason why you're watching this in this moment is because a bunch of things that just happened in your life and you just kind of get to a point where we're doing it. It's not a coincidence. He's been pursuing you. And here's the invitation. Please hear the invitation because I think we get confused about this in the church. It's not an invitation to believe in him. That's not what he said to Philip. What did he say to Philip? What did he say? Follow me. Well, first, you have to believe that I came from heaven and I'm the son of God and I came to do No, 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 no. Philip, just follow me. And I, I think one of the trouble, things that kind of bothers me, I'm troubled by, is that even in today, there are a lot of people, and many will say, I believe in God but the reality is, is that it is a cerebral thing. Well, okay, I believe God's real, and someone told me that I trust that Jesus is his son, and, and I, you know, a lot of people believe that he came back to life, and so I guess I can believe that because God could do anything. And so, I, yeah, if you ask me, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. No, that's not what the invitation was. The invitation is, will you follow me? Every place we see where people are invited into a relationship with God, it really goes like this. Follow Jesus. Come and follow Jesus. I love whenever Jesus said, hey, just Levi, just leave your tax booth and come and follow me. Philip, just come and follow me. Well, wait a minute. I thought you need to believe. Yeah, you do. But the invitation is to follow first. Follow first. By the way, I just want to extend that invitation to anybody who's here 
anybody who's watching this online, you go, I don't know that I believe. That's okay, follow Jesus. You don't have to follow me, follow Jesus. Go read about his life. Go study the words he said. Go look at the things that he did. Go read what other people say about Jesus. You know what I think? I think you'll be so attracted to Jesus. You'll be like, okay, I'm gonna model my life after him. And listen, if you begin to follow Jesus, let me warn you because guess what might happen? You're gonna encounter Jesus and then guess what's gonna happen? All of a sudden you're gonna go, I believe that he is the son of God. And so listen, you get invited to follow, but then there's gonna be a moment, I pray, where all of a sudden it's gonna, oh, I believe I believe. By the way, that's why we say all the time here at this church, you don't have to believe to belong. You can come. You don't have to believe to belong. Say, I don't believe in God. Come on, join our community. I want to hang out with you. Let's do it. Come along. Can I tell you secretly what I hope happens? I hope you encounter Jesus and eventually you believe in him. But I want to invite you to say, come follow. Come follow Jesus with me. See, that, that's what's this invitation. Come on, come follow me. And so Philip, he responds to the invitation. But I want you to see what he does in John chapter 1, verse 44 and 45. Look at this. It says, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Look at verse 45. It says this, Philip did what? Philip found, come on, help me out. Say it out loud. Philip found Nathanael. And he told him, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Did you see what happened? Again, so significant, easy to gloss over. It just seems like this is one of those little moments in the Bible that's not significant. This is very significant. Jesus finds Philip. Philip is invited to follow Jesus. We're gonna move, Philip. I'm inviting you to follow me. What does that mean? Well, that means you're gonna have to leave your life behind. You're gonna to have to leave your family behind. You're gonna to have to leave your friends behind. You're gonna to have to, and you're gonna to have to follow me because I'm going places and we're gonna do ministry and we're gonna go from town to town and we're gonna share the hope of, of, of heaven. I need you to follow me. Okay, Philip's like, I'm in. Hold on. What's the first thing that I've gotta do if I'm Philip? Philip does what? He finds Nathaniel. Now, now we don't know much about Nathaniel. We really don't know much about Philip. But what I can figure out from this story is that Philip cared a lot about Nathaniel. If you got invited to go on a journey where you don't know when it's going to end and how far you're going to go, I promise you the first thing that you would do is you would contact the people you care about and you would say, I'm leaving. The very first thing that Philip does when he encounters Jesus is he goes and he finds Nathaniel and he says, Nathaniel, you got to come. Nathaniel, come with me. Nathaniel, I got to tell you something. I just met the one who changed my life. Jesus found Philip. Philip found Nathaniel. What are they doing? Can, can I just tell you what they're doing? It's, it's kind of funny. I was just, I'm reading through this. This is the way my mind works. I'm like, they're playing a game of tag. Jesus tags Philip. No tag backs, by the way. Jesus tags... Jesus tags Philip, Philip tags Nathaniel. Come on, my guess is all of us have played tag at some point. I know some of you are so mature, but if you're a parent, you play tag with your kids, right? Philip tags, what do you do every time you tag someone? What do you say to them when you tag them? What do you say? You say, you're it, you're it. Do me a favor, tag the person next to you and say, you're it. Come on, just hit them hard if you know them. If you don't know them, don't do that. Shove them, say, you're it. Just, what if we sometimes make the mission of the church, the picture of it, what if sometimes we make it far more complicated than it needs to be? I mean, I know the church is, it's complex and community is complex and it gets messy and relationships. I, I understand all that. But I wonder if we could simplify the purpose of the church, if we could just simplify it down to what was really on Jesus' heart. I wonder if what we would see is that he, I just wanna play this really, really long game of tag. I'm gonna tag you, I'm gonna say you're it. Now I want you to go tag Nathaniel and say you're it. What if that's it? 
What did that say? In fact, I think about the way Jesus said it. And I know I'm just kind of I'm just trying to give you a way to really receive it and kind of get it. But when I think about when Jesus kind of started the church, remember he's the one that kicked it off. And we started in week one and we got to Acts chapter one, verse eight. Remember Acts chapter one, verse eight says this, but you will receive power. I love this. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, tag from heaven. That's a heavenly tag, right? I wish Jesus was around and he could tag me. He's not. So he said, I'm not going to be around, but guess what? I'm going to tag you from heaven. So he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, tag, and then what? You will, what does he say? You will be my witnesses. I'm tagging you. Now, everywhere you go, in Jerusalem, to all Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, I want you to tag people. When you go to work, tag them. You're it. When you go to school, tag them, you're it. When you go to the gym, tag them, you're it. This is, I just want to play a game of tag, guys. That'd be fine. Let's play this, this eternal game of tag. That'd be awesome. But some of you are looking at me cross-eyed because you're so mature and you're like, well, we never played tag. Okay, then let me teach you how to play tag today. I'm going to teach you how to play tag. Because I know some of you are like, I, you, some of you have forgotten. You're so old, you're like, I've forgotten how to play tag, okay? Let me teach you how to play tag. Three steps. I want you to write these down. Three steps to playing tag. It's really that simple. Just three simple steps to play tag. The first one is this. Tell others about the hope you found. That's it. Tell others about the hope you found. I, I don't know if you noticed this, but that's what Philip did. The moment he encountered Jesus... He immediately goes to find Nathaniel, and maybe you didn't catch what he shared with him, but let me reread it. It's verse 45 in John chapter 1. Now, I think sometimes we read the Bible and we remove the emotion and we remove like the energy, we remove like what it must have been like. But when I read this, this is how I read it. It says, Philip found Nathaniel and he told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I, I want you to see this. Like, he goes to Nathaniel, and he's like, we found him. What do you mean? You, you see, I think sometimes we get disconnected from this because we don't understand what it was like to have been Jewish back then. Do you understand that for hundreds and hundreds of years, from 6th century B.C., they had not been a nation. They had not been their own kingdom. They had not been in control. In fact, they had gone from empire to empire of Roman rule. And you could go all the way back from the Babylonian rule and the Medes and the Persians, all this stuff. And so they, did, they, they were in dark places. And, and, and we know this, that the last 400 years before Jesus came, that God didn't speak through prophets. And so it was dark and it was quiet. And everybody's like, we're Miserable, and yet they were holding on to things that Moses and other prophets had written about. One day, there will be one that will come up from within you, a branch of Jesse. There's one who's going to come up from the line of David, and he is going to rescue, and he's going to become the king of all kings, and he's going to establish. And in their mind, they thought, oh, one day it's going to get better, even though it's awful. Now, Philip meets Jesus. His life is impacted. He goes and he finds Nathaniel, and he said, we found them. I don't, I don't know how else to tell you this. We found him. This, this is the way he, he felt. When hope swells into your heart, you can't help it. There's an excitement. There's a passion. There's a, oh, my gosh. You know what I find so sad? And I see this in my life. Is that that's the way I felt when I first encountered Jesus. I remember that. Do you remember what it was like when you first encountered him? I, I, I remember that. I'd been in church my whole life, but I had this moment when I was 17 years old where I came face to face with Jesus and something happened and came alive inside of me. And I just think about how easy it is for us to forget the first time you experienced hope. I think about the first time. What was the first time where you really felt forgiven by God? 
The first time where your guilt just washed away. Do you remember the first time when you came up out of the water and you were baptized? And you, I'd never felt this clean and this connected to God before. Or the first time you felt, felt new on the inside. Or the first time you felt the presence of God in a very real way. Or the first time where, when you encountered him and all of a sudden things just begin to explode in your mind and in your heart. And you're like, oh my gosh, I feel it. And it's real. It's really real inside of me. Do you remember what it was like? Because what I found is the further I get away from that moment, the easier it is to forget. It's kind of like buying a new car. It's exciting. I bought, I bought a new car this February. It was actually used, but it was a oh, beautiful new car. Incredible. Because I did that because my daughter was going to turn 16 this summer. And so my car was, I mean, it's like the baton. I'm going to hand my car off to you. And, and, uh, and just, oh, man, I... Every Friday is clean, clean car Friday. I clean my car every Friday. I know, you might think it's dumb. But I just, you know how you feel when you get something new? And my daughter felt the same way when she got her car. She was so excited and she was ready to get her license. And then something tragic happened a few weeks ago. Her and some friends were driving her car up to Cedar Point and her car died. Died, just died. And uh, they said that the motor is dead. It's broken. And, and uh, she was devastated. I mean, Ross, Ross died. Do you guys name your car? She named her car. Is that after friends? Ross. Ross was dead. She was devastated. Ross died. And we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know because the car had some recall things, but I hadn't had them done, all this. Long story short, Ross is alive again. Ross was dead but now he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. And she didn't know. And so I got the word. And so we surprised her on her birthday and she got her license, but then she was sad because Ross was dead. And then we revealed that Ross was actually back from the dead. And we had this bow on Ross and guess what? She cried. And it was the most amazing moment ever as a dad to be able to kind of celebrate that moment. But there was some, there was an emotion there. And I know it's just a car. It's just a car. But there was an emotion tied to it. I just, even if it was just a total head thing when you surrendered your life to Jesus, if you have, there, there should be an emotion, there should be something about, didn't he change your life? It's, it's so hard to remember, you know, it is. You say, how do I remember this on the regular? Here, here's what I've tried doing. I try to remember by seeing it in other people. When I see those around me that are searching, when I see those around me who are trying every little, and we're trying to have fun, and they're trying to party, and they're trying to do this, but, but really when they talk to me, they're miserable. When I see other people, and they're, they can't figure out if there's meaning in life, and they're just, I, can't, I do all this, but I don't know if it matters. When I, that's my reminder of what God has given to me. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? The first step of playing tag, you don't need to go to some class. You don't need to memorize a bunch of Bible. Tell others about the hope you found, okay? The second step is this, ask them to come with you. Tell others about the hope you found. The second step is this, ask them to come with you. I want you to see what, what Philip does in this moment. Philip goes and he finds Nathaniel and he says, we found the one you have got to see. And, and here is here, I love this, verse 46. This is Nathanael's response. He says, Nazareth, because he said Jesus came from Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? I mean, I don't know what that would be like, but you know, it's like you anticipate the son of God coming from some prominent place. That would be like, um, you know, if you were to say, dude, you gotta come meet Jesus. He came from uh, Lima. See, no one's inspired. I'm so, I, no offense if you're from Lima. You know what I mean? I can pick anything. He came from Springfield, Ohio. You know what I mean? He's from Chillicothe. Come meet you. you know, and Nathaniel's like, what? I thought he'd be, if, I mean, we've been waiting. I thought he'd come from New York City. He'd come from L.A., come from Tokyo, come from Paris. I thought for sure. No, no, no. He said, does anything good come from there, Nathaniel asked. And here's Philip's response. What does he say? Come and see. Come with me. Just see. I'm going to take you to Jesus. Let me just come and see for yourself. It's an invitation. You ask others, come with me. Now, what was he doing? He was taking Nathaniel to Jesus. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, 
Well, how do I do that? If Jesus were here, I would tell all my friends and neighbors and everybody, you have got to, while he's here, he's gonna be visiting our church on this day, Jesus is coming, you have gotta come. If I told you Jesus was gonna come preach in a couple weeks, you'd be telling every one of your friends and family to be here. If I could bring, how do I invite people to come with me to see Jesus? Let me show you how. It's an invitation to come and experience Jesus in community. You invite people to come and experience Jesus in community. What, what do I mean by that? You know, a lot of people think that um, their faith is so personal, and, and it is in a way. My faith is personal, and I hear some people, all I need is Jesus. No, you need more than that. You, you, Jesus didn't do it alone. He actually got a group of 12 guys to go with him. He invited everybody he invited. It was to come and follow me in community. Anytime we see where Jesus invites people to come, it's in community. Anytime we look in the book of Acts and people are invited to come, it's in community. It says, and the church added to the number daily those who are being saved. It's not just a personal thing, but it's a community thing. Come and see. How do I see Jesus? Well, I don't know. The apostle Paul said that the church is the body of Christ. What did he mean? He meant that when people are looking for Jesus, the way they're going to see him is when they look at my church. That's how they see Jesus. That you and I are the hands and the feet and the body parts and the mouth of Jesus' body. So how do we invite people today to come and see Jesus? You say, come with me and experience faith in community. Now, this is debated. I want to say that. This is debated in church leadership circles and different pastors. There's been an ongoing debate about church models. How, how should church work? Let me, let me just kind of point out two basic models. And again, 95% of Christians in church probably could care less, okay? You're going to find a place you connect with, identify that it kind of feeds you, but it also gives you life and can bring. I get all that. Um, in church leadership, there's like two basic models when it comes to church ministry, all right? Uh, l- let me just explain what they are. Um, one's called the come and see model. Come and see model is like where churches intentionally create their environments and their gatherings to be opportunities for you to bring somebody to say, kind of like Phil said, hey, come and see for yourself. And they come and what they experience is they experience the gospel in a way that they can relate to and understand. And oh, by the way, sometimes those churches are really, really shallow and they'll stoop to doing things like throwing really big block parties and doing an at the movies type series. Come and see. I'm just gonna create an environment where they're gonna think about people who don't know Jesus to say, hey, come and see. That's one church model, right? That's one church model. The other church model, I would call go and be. Now, I made these terms up. I don't even know if there's other terms for them. It's come and see and go and be. The go and be model is that when we gather, it's for us, it's for the church, and we come together to worship however we want to worship and talk about whatever we want to talk about that would inspire us. And then from there, we're going to leave and then you're going to go into your environments and then you're going to represent Jesus on Monday through Saturday. Come and see, go and be. Two different models. So I know what all of you are thinking. This whole entire, you're like, what is X church? I just want to know, are they come and see or are they go and be? Because it kind of seems like come and see. Next one. Is it go and be? Can I just tell you my perspective on this? Why do we have to create a false dichotomy out of come and see, go and be? I want to be a church that we do both. Is that okay? Okay, can I say, okay, I want to be a church where we do both. I want to have an environment where people come. Oh, by the way, the Apostle Paul had to talk about it in 1 Corinthians 14. You ought to be careful when there are people who are in your midst that don't know him. So I want to create an environment when there's people here, and if you don't know Jesus, I'm glad you're here, and you don't have to believe to belong. And I hope you go to the block party, and I hope you come and bring a friend with you because the movie stuff is awesome, and you're going to love it. But guess what? I also hope that you're so inspired and charged up that when you leave here, that you become the church in the rest of the world, and when you go to work, and when you go to school, when you go to the gym, and when you go to the park, and you're hanging out with other moms, that you represent Jesus wherever you go. I want to do both, if that's okay. I'd rather not be thrown into a box and say it's one or the other. All, all I know is that Jesus says, I want to play tag. 
And every place that you see in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, that people experience the gospel, we see that the gospel is lived out in community. I don't know about you, but I need Jesus, but I also need you. I need friends to encourage me when I'm struggling in my faith. I need people to surround me. And so I, I want to be the kind of church that I, I want to come and see, but I also want to go and be. I want you to represent Jesus when you're not here. I want you to go and be ex-church. Go and be the church of Jesus wherever you go. That's why we've intentionally created our mission statement. You know, maybe, maybe you don't know the mission statement. We have so many new people in our church, but I'll just stick it up. Our mission statement we say here at ex-church is helping people get on the path to God. Would you all say that out loud with me? It's helping people get on the path to God. Say it one more time. It's helping people get on the path to God. I want you to notice something. We intentionally created a church that would help you if you're searching and wondering if God's real. But when you meet Jesus and he changes your life like he has mine, I want you to understand that now it's your mission. Now it's you go help somebody else get on the path to God. It's kind of like a relay race. Someone handed me the baton. Now it's my turn to go hand the baton to someone. Jesus tagged me. Now I'm going to tag them. Do you understand that? It's just tag, guys. It's not confusing. It's just tag. Let me give you the third step. The third step is really important. Give people a reason to follow Jesus. Give people a reason to follow Jesus. What I'm trying to say is this. Your life and my life, when people look at it, they should say, I want to know the God you serve. Our lives should be so impacted by the gospel. Should be, and I didn't say by church. I said by the gospel, by Jesus, his saving grace. Our lives should be so transformed by a relationship with Jesus that the outcome of our life is so desirable Everybody at your work, at office, everybody who's at school and the teacher's life, everybody in the nurse's office, everybody should see and go, I want what you have. That's my question is when people see your life, are they more drawn to Jesus or are they want to get away? I'm just asking. When people see the outcome of your life, are they drawn to Jesus when people see the way you treat your spouse in your marriage, are they drawn? I, 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 I want to see that in my marriage. When they see the way you're raising your kids, are they like, I want to raise my kids like that too. When they see how generous you are and how giving you are, do they go, oh, I want to be a part of something like that. When they see you serving, when they see you loving people that others don't love in the office, when they see you refusing to gossip, when they see what you post on social media, they should say, I want to go with you. I've been waiting for you to ask me. And unfortunately, sometimes that's not reality. I had a sobering conversation this week. I finished my message and my notes were done and in. And, and I ran into a friend of mine that honestly I've been praying for and inviting to, to not only church, but sharing my faith and for years, years. And uh, when, I, when I ran into him, he was so defeated. I said, how are you doing? He's like, man, I, I'm just not good. I'm just, his business, his venture, he's like, I'm ready to quit it all. I was like, what's wrong? He just was telling me about all these things and how people abandoned him and worked for him and saying things about him and just all this stuff. And he was like, I'm just over it. I'm done. I just want to run away. And I saw he was discouraged. And so I kind of used this as a moment I've known he knows what, what I do. And I just said, hey, man, I, I don't know if you need some encouragement, but I'd love to invite you to come to church with me. He said, uh, he said, honestly, it's, he said, I, I, I don't really, part of me just doesn't want to go to church. He said, and honestly, it's part of it. Just, he said, because this guy who's been saying all these things about me is just, also been posting all this stuff about how he now is going to this church and he got baptized and he's posting all this stuff. But I know how he lives on the weekend. Like, man, I'm sorry. And he said, oh, by the way, I've met some people who go to your church. 
And he began to talk about how it's just like the way people were living and they say, oh, church, and I found God. And then they turn around and then they're living like this and the rest of the world and doing hurtful things. He's like, I, I just, I don't want to go. And I, I had to spend the rest of my conversation trying to say, please do not judge me or our church because of these people that do this. Just like you don't want to be judged because someone did something to you. And then I said to him, but please also know this. Our church is full of broken, messed up people that are just trying to figure it out. And guess what? They may not always be living the right way. I understand that. But you're invited because we're all messed up and we're all on journey. No, oh, by the way, you don't have to be perfect to come either. That's what I said to him. But I couldn't help but have to realize how hard it is to want to invite people. And, and I spent the rest of the time saying, can I just tell you about Jesus? I want to invite people to Jesus, but I also want to invite them to experience Jesus in community. And so my challenge to all of us, if you're part of this church, is give people a reason to follow. Maybe we ought to think twice before we post whatever we want to post and get into online fights. And I'm going to make sure you should understand this in social media wars and political fights and all that. Is it really that important? Maybe what's more important is that people's eternities are hanging in the balance. And maybe I'm going to show a little restraint because at the end of the day, what I want is my life to represent Jesus if we're going to follow him. And by the way, Jesus doesn't care. What, Jesus is not like, oh, please, I hope you post and I hope you, get, I hope you let people know their theology is wrong and I hope you let everybody know that church is evil and I hope you let... I, you know what Jesus said? Here's what Jesus said. This is all I want you to do. As he is tagging his disciples... Starting it off in John 13, 34, Jesus said this, a new command I give you. This is all I need you to care about. A new command I give you. What is it? Or what are we supposed to do? Say it out loud. Love one another. And he says, as I have loved you. Now look at that. So you must love one another. Well, I don't want to love her. Jesus said, so you must. Well, they're in a different political pro- So you must. Love one another. And by the way, this is, this is his idea of the game of tag. He said in verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By what? By how you post, by how you let everybody know that they're voting wrong, by how you let everybody know that they've got it wrong, how you get out your agenda, how you didn't know. He said, if you love one another. It's just tag. I think if Jesus were here and he would pop into every church, he'd say, I just... I'm tagging, you're it. Now I just want you to go and tag someone else. Three easy steps. I want you to remember them, right? Remember the three steps. What is it? Tell others about the hope you found. Ask them to come with you and give them a reason to follow. Did you notice the, the just T-A-G. It's that simple. I know it's corny, but I just needed you to remember it. Tag. We're just playing a game of tag. Now, speaking of tags, this is how we're going to end. When you came into this experience, you should have been given a name tag. Would you get it out right now? If you don't have a name tag, if you snuck in and you didn't get one, would you lift your hand? I want everybody to have one of these. Would you just raise your hand? We got ushers. We got over here, all up in there, and the stand up there. Up there, you all just snuck in some way and didn't get it, did you? Just keep your hand up. I want everybody to have a tag. Now, listen, if you're watching this online, let me just tell you that we're going to have a way for you to participate. Let me explain what it is, and I'm going to tell you how you can participate, okay? We're just playing tag. So I decided that let's give everybody name tags. You got a name tag. For the last... 14 days, and we've been in a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting, praying for our community, praying for those right here too. Just want to make sure we got several all the way up there, up there. Yep, we got people coming to you, so just wait. I'll talk for a little bit. I'll stall. I'm good at it. I can go really long. I won't. Okay, name tag. It says, I'm praying for. Instead of saying, my name is, we just wrote, I'm praying for. I want you right now to think of the person that has been on your mind through this 21 days person that maybe you haven't invited, but you're going to this week, somebody that you care, you, I want you to write on there, you're Nathaniel. Now don't write Nathaniel unless that person's name is Nathaniel. I want you to write the name of the person that God has put in your path that he's asking you to tag. And I want you to put their name on it. 
Now listen, online, you can start dropping names in the comments. We've had dozens of names dropped in. You can also text TAG2021 to 94,000. Anybody else can do that, but text TAG2021 to 94,000. Just put one name on it, okay? One name, because we have more tags that you're gonna be able to do something with. You may have seen a wall hanging up in the foyer. You're gonna be able to do it, but just, just right now, one name. Because I, I want you to picture their face. I want you to think about their story. I want you to remember that Jesus tagged you and he said, you're it. And now it's your turn. And I'm gonna tell you what we'll do with these at the end and we're gonna pray for them. But I just believe as we close out this series that I needed us to get, we are the unstoppable church, not X church, but the church. And God has given us, Jesus has given us the mission and it's simple, just tag someone with the hope that you've received, amen? Come on, stand up to your feet. Stand up with me. We're going to join into a moment of prayer. And then the band's going to lead us in a song. And, and then we're going to have an opportunity to stick these things on the wall out there so we can pray for them. But I just want to pray for us right now in this moment. If you just bow your heads, just close your eyes. Father, I thank you for your immeasurable grace in my life. I thank you that, Jesus, you tagged me when I was 17 years old. And it changed my life. And I'm not perfect. But I am grateful for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. And I don't ever want to forget it. And so, Jesus, I just take that call to go and tag people this week. I I, I pray right now, Father, for those that you're putting in our path. Not by coincidence, but you are inviting us into the race. You are handing the baton to each one of us. And you're saying it's time to get in the race, not to be a bystander, not to watch the race. But God, you're saying it's time to get in the race. And so, God, we receive this message today. God, we pray that you would do incredible things, exceed our imagination, Lord, in the weeks to come. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.